Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. I am uh, loving this sermon series that we are in. We're, for four weeks, we're talking about just the, our relationship with the Bible and the nature of Scripture. It's been so challenging and encouraging at the same time for me, and I hope that it's been the same thing for you. The Bible is, is foundational for what we believe. It's, uh, it's God's instruction to us. And many for us in our community, we lean into our relationship with the Bible, but that's not the case for all of us. For some of us, it's been a place of comfort. Others, it's been a place of confusion. Maybe in your life right now, you, uh, the Bible is a place of pain for you. Wherever you are today, I just want to say that I'm happy that you're here, that we can be a part of this conversation together. And my hope is that we see Scripture, this book, this Bible, as the complicated, beautiful gift that God has intended for you and I, and that we as a community would be more fully formed in our relationship with Scripture, not only what it says, but how we can read it and apply it to our life. That is what we're going to be talking about today, is I have the challenge and privilege to talk about the nature of interpretation with Scripture. And there's two things working against us, uh, is the two unfortunate things is usually this conversation in like a, you know, a Bible college or a seminary would take the greater part of a semester. And we have today. And the other bad thing going against us is usually it's taught by a Bible scholar and you have me. And so here we are today. The, the theological term for what we're talking about is this uh, term hermeneutics, which is just the nature of interpreting, and in this case, interpreting Scripture. And I trust that God's going to meet us today in this very important subject. But I want to begin with an experiment. If this sermon is about the nature of interpretation, I thought it'd be interesting to begin with an experiment of how we all interpret Scripture. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned how Thomas Jefferson, he famously took his Bible and cut out the sections of Scripture that he didn't like, the parts of Scripture that worked against his sensibilities. And I shared how, you know, many of us, if we're honest, we do the same things. We pick and choose what we like in our Bible and what we don't. This is actually a big part of interpretation, is how do we choose what was meant to be for that time in that culture, and it was meant to stay there, and it doesn't apply to today, and how do we choose what actually should be taken, and it's a timeless truth by God. I mean, that's a huge part of our conversation and interpretation. So, I thought maybe we would have a little experiment together. So I'm going to have a different verses pop up, and I want us to raise a hand if we think it was for that time and that place, and then I'll do the same thing for if it applies for today. So let's look at it. I call this take it or leave it. I wanted to have some theme music for a game show, but I thought it would be too much. 
But here we go. First verse. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. For that time and that place only? Yeah? Okay. Anyone applies to today? Okay. All right. Next one. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, I am holy. That time and place applies to today? Okay. All right. Next one. Greet one another with a holy kiss, a commandment from God. I mean, I'm, some men in this place are like, that, that guy can preach. He can preach. <laughs> uh, that time and place applies to today. Y'all nasty. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. We're in Austin. Sinners. Okay, that time and place. All time. Okay. Moving on. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? Um, Okay, hold on a sec. That time and place applies to all time. Yeah. I have a picture here. That's Stephen Prophet right there. Look at that disgraceful picture. I wish he was here today. He's not here. All right, so no more hand raising. Right, I'm going to shut down that part of this experiment. But let's continue. Okay. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to, to talk back to them. I mean, that sounds like a commandment. Let's go on to the next one. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, all, the men will take his, uh, his son to the town and to stone him to death. You must purge evil from among you. All Israel will hear him and be afraid. Uh, I would be stoned at the age of six, I think, if I remember correctly. Okay, again. This is words from Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Okay, next one. Six days you shall do your labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. This is a commandment, by the way, said 12 times or so in the Bible. Okay. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Okay? Make an offering of 10%, a tithe, of all the produce which grows in your fields year after year. In this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God. Your God, as long as you live. This is the, the primary verse that we have the principle of tithing, a 10% gift. Okay? The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay? So, this right here demonstrates just the complexity of this conversation around interpretation. Because we hear these verses and we pull out different ones like, okay, no, this is something that's it's for us today and other people, we cut it out of our Bible. That's, that's for that time and that place, but not for us. 
And to be honest, we are also we're left with some really complicated passages in our Bible. And how do we how do we work through it? What do we do? This is for me a demonstration of the conversation that is so important for the church to have. What do we do with interpreting our scriptures? What are we going to do with this? And so uh, we rarely talk about how we make those decisions. And so I hope today we do a better job of that. So let's jump in. First off, what is interpretation? The nature of interpretation is rooted in the belief that as people, we see and process this world through our subjective point of view. We form our understanding of life through our particular experiences, through the lens of our culture, our background, our intellect. This is how we engage our world. We engage it through our own lens, our own worldview. And what, it, what makes it even more difficult is it's hard to know what our worldview is. It's not like we can step back from our perspective and see and point out the different elements and the biases that we have within our, our, our perspective. And for me, this picture kind of exemplifies it, if we can take a look at it. What do you see in this picture? Okay, who are the, who are the rabbit people? We were the duck people. Okay, primarily we're a duck congregation. We now know that. Sorry for all the rabbit people. There are other churches for you. <laughs> but see, this for me like, kind of just gives the, just a, a very simple elementary example of how we just see and process differently. And sometimes it's arbitrary like this, and sometimes it actually is deeply felt. Uh, we come to Scripture... And we apply the Scripture to our life today, and as we do this, we interpret. We, we have to begin with this conversation. If I was a skeptic of Christianity, and I, if I was to engage you in some of a kind of a combative conversation, you know my first qu- my questions would be? It would be around you and your Bible. How in the world do you think writings from 2,000, 3,000 years ago apply to life today? I mean, I would begin with that conversation. But this is part of our Christian belief and our faith that these words are active and alive. So something interesting to me is when the average person thinks about the Bible, what do they think of? My conversations with people who aren't uh, a part of a church or maybe a part of the Christian tradition, they think these words are primarily commandments. They think the Bible really is a bunch of thou shalts. And the interesting thing to me is that's not really what the Bible is primarily. I find this really helpful. Here's the percentages of the Bible. 43% of the Bible is narrative or story. 33% is poetry or song. Less than 18% is a letter. It's like a writing from one person to a community or congregation or a teaching. And around 5% of the Bible is commandments. Yet, that is what people think of when they think of the Bible, that 5%. And it's not only what outsiders think, but I think in many ways that is what we've made the Bible to be. This is human nature. We have difficulty dealing with nuance and mystery and story. So we seek to make it simple and concrete. We take this beautifully complex collections of scriptures, and we are tempted to turn it into data or a positional statement, or a moral checklist. But that's not the Bible. The Bible is poetry, it's story, it's wisdom literature, it's prophetic warnings, it's a letter from a friend to another friend or a pastor to a church. 
And in these writings, we believe that God is present and God is pointing us to life. And I believe we do a disservice when we make the Bible out to be anything else. But the reality is, if Bible is primarily story and song, what does that require? Interpretation. How does that story relate to my life? What is that story teaching me about God, about humanity, about the way to live? God could have boiled down all of his words into commandments, bullet points. For people like me, I love bullet points and checklists. God could have made it that way, but God did not choose to do it that way. And I don't think God wanted to because God wanted for us to put these words in the middle of our community to discern how this truth applies to our life. God wants for us to put this, this complex scripture in the middle of our community to interpret together and with the Christian tradition to see how this truth is pointing us as a community to be faithful to God today. But that's complicated. So oftentimes we just, we make data points, bullet points out of this beautiful, complex scripture. For instance, God could have, instead of saying the story of the prodigal son, he could have just given us a couple points about the about his nature, about God's nature, that God's love is extravagant, that God's love is unconditional, that God's greatest blessing is a relationship with God. But what we know is that doctrinal statements do not move us to tears like a story does. They don't linger with us like the picture of a father who's looking down the road and chasing after his son. That... (laughs) The stories move us, positional statements don't move us like a woman who's cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears because she realized how she's been forgiven so much. Like we actually need to journey with the nation of Israel as they wander through the desert trying to learn to trust in God. That is the beauty of the Bible. That is the beauty of narrative and of story. It's such a huge part of that, though, is it requires interpretation. A huge part of this conversation is around the theological notion of accommodation. Um, what I mean by this word is this. Most of us don't use this word in this way, so I'm going to have to explain it a little bit. What I mean by the word accommodation is that when God spoke an inspired Scripture, that God did so within the context and the perspective of that original audience or that original author, that God's word entered into a particular culture and context with their understandings at that time. God accommodated within the limitations of their worldview. God entered into that particular time and place. For instance, God couldn't give us ethical instructions on how to use technology in the Bible. Why? Because in antiquity, they didn't know what what a cell phone would be. So we, we see this again and then that accommodation happens. On the other end, an example of accommodation for me is in the Jewish community, their worldview of how they saw the, the world and the cosmos was very, very different. They believed that above the sky was another vault of water, like this ocean above the sky, which makes sense if in you know, uh, an old point of view, 
to have like the, a part of the veil like torn a little bit and rain come down. And it's blue, by the way, so it makes sense. And so you will, you'll find is this incorrect understanding of the world and the cosmos actually find its way in the Bible. So for instance, this is in Psalm uh, 148.4, Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the sky. So uh, God's Word came and through their particular experience. And, and through that perspective, we interpret what God's Word is saying. What the author is trying to say, someone in a modern point of view is like, oh, well, that's wrong. It's incorrect. But for us, we need to see what this writer was trying to say is that all of creation praises God's name. So there was a combination that happened here. Now, that's simple a simple example, but the idea of accommodation is why we find in Scripture how it leads us to very tricky subjects. Scripture was written when it was, when it was normative to own slaves, when women were treated like property. And to be honest, if we read Scripture, oftentimes we wish that Scripture would have gone further to speak against such atrocities. But we believe that Scripture entered into a particular time and a particular perspective and accommodation took place. But what you will find in Scripture is if you read the Scripture, that you will find that there is this, this beautiful arc that God is doing throughout Scripture. In subjects like slavery and women, you'll find a trajectory in place where women's role and dignity was expanding as Scripture was being written. And regarding slavery, even Jesus declared part of his whole mission in coming to this world was to, to provide freedom for the captives. That was the arc of, uh, of liberation and of justice and mercy that was happening in God's kingdom. That Scripture has this arc of redemption moving people forward. But interpretation is, is tricky. This highlights the problems with interpretations. How do we see that arc uh, sending us into this world today? What is that arc calling us to be faithful in our world today? And it leads us to a lot of meaningful conversations as a part of the Christian community. And part of these conversations, I think it's just helpful to know the problems that, that we deal with when it comes to interpretation. Two major problems that I find that the church uh, has within using interpretation today, and they're actually in the extremes. The first problem is this. Many people do not acknowledge that they actually interpret Scripture. I'm thinking of the, the bumper sticker, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. What does is, what is that miss? Interpretation. What that misses is, like this would be my bumper sticker, the Bible says that we interpret it and it is our humble conviction. It's not we're flimsy about it, it's still a conviction, but it's our humble conviction. That's why it's tricky when we use the Bible and we say, well, my Bible says, fill in the blank. Because the reality is our Bible doesn't say, it reads. And read, reading takes interpretation as we seek to apply it today. I love this line from Rachel Held Evans. She said this, My interpretation can only be as inerrant as I am. And that's good to keep in mind. We have used and misused the Bible with our own interpretation. And then, if we don't acknowledge that we interpret, we use that interpretation and declare it as God's own word. Don't be angry with me. Be angry with God. It's in the Bible. When in fact, oftentimes, we have come to the Bible looking for the thing we want it to say. 
And then we find that interpretation that reinforces our own agenda. And then with that proof text, then we baptize our own agenda. And we all do this. Like if we're honest, we are all susceptible to looking to the Bible, not for how it's going to challenge me, but how I can make it um, christen my agenda, my point of view, my ideology. That's one problem, is that we don't acknowledge that we interpret. The second problem actually is the other extreme, is that we overemphasize the power of interpretation. Because Scripture requires interpretation, some people believe that there's no longer any authority in God's Word. So like the emerging worldview that's described as postmodern today, one of the markers of this worldview is the proliferation of interpretation, how everything is interpretation. So if that's your perspective, More and more truth is becoming more and more relative. People have learned to be suspicious of other people touting their truth, especially if you try to impose your truth on me. Like the mantra today is, don't impose your truth on me. And people hear this notion of biblical interpretation, and you will hear them say, there you go. So you admit it. You do interpret it. You do interpret the truth. And the church, we must learn to say, yes, we do interpret the truth. We do interpret Scripture. But we must not be mistaken. There is a truth. There is like a big capital T truth that exists, and it does not belong to anyone but God. And the wise person is the one who seeks to, uh, to interpret to that truth, to humbly and faithfully seek God's truth knowing that it belongs to God. Not to my desires or my appetites, but to the truth that we see and discern in Scripture that we believe is from God. Because there is truth outside of our interpretation. For instance, imagine you're driving in your car, listening to whatever song makes you drive fast, and you are in a 30-mile-per-hour speed limit area going 45, you get pulled over. When the officer knocks on the window, if you're the type that don't roll down your window, or if you're the type that has, I guess, a roller like that in your car still, um, you're not going to say, well, officer, I understand uh, you think I'm speeding, but I actually think that's your interpretation of what's happened. Have you actually studied the root meaning of speed? In the Latin, it actually comes across a little different. Uh, And isn't speed relative? Like, how fast were you going? And isn't, like, limits or limitations like an, an oppressive construct of the Western ideology? How do you think that will go over? Here's your ticket, 240 bucks or whatever it is. You just get the ticket. And I feel like oftentimes, in, as Christians, we are tempted to treat the Bible, Bible with the same function. We, we, we distance the notion of truth and God's authority in the Bible with this idea of interpretation being stronger than it actually is. Like, imagine someone talking to me, saying, well, Mark, like, is adultery really something for us to uh, apply in our life today? The answer is, yes, it is. Like, it's, it's there. It's part of God's commandments. It's authority. Like, there is a central truth that we humbly cling to. Uh, truths like Jesus is the giver of salvation, that he's coming again, that Easter actually really happened. He's alive. How compassion and justice are like essentials for following Jesus. These truths we, we, are, we hold with conviction. 
And ultimately, we believe that there is authority in God's Word because we are followers of Jesus. Jesus turned to Scripture as if it was God's Word, not only to be studied and memorized like he obviously dis- displayed in, in, his, in his life, but honored, respected, and applied to his life. You remember when Jesus was dealing with temptations in the, in the wilderness. What did he use? Scripture. When he, had rem- he needed to remember who God was and who he was, Jesus returned and he memorized these verses that grounded him. Over and over again, you'll find that Jesus cites and quotes Scripture. He had it memorized. It was deeply a part of him. It was the the framework in which he lived and existed. And so if we look to Jesus, if we call on him as our our Lord and as our Savior, if we're our leader, we, we need to honor Scripture in the same way that he honors Scripture. So the question for us is this. As followers of Jesus, Did Jesus intend on the Bible being God's authority? I know we hate that word, but God's authoritative word for our life to interpret and apply to our life. And I believe wholeheartedly that the answer is yes. That Christ intended for us to turn to Scripture as God's holy and perfect and complicated word so that you and I, we could... To, uh, to, to have this as a gift for us, not only individually, but for us as a community. It's important to know that Jesus came into a time much like today. When Jesus came into this world, there was two major groupings within the religious world. One sect of the Jewish community were the protectors of God's word, the Torah. They followed it carefully and they defended it at all costs. And there was, on the other hand, there was another part of the community that wanted to kind of loosen God's word. They wanted to get rid of part of it. They felt like it was old and outdated and needed to be renewed. And do you see how both those points of view are familiar to us today? And then Jesus enters into this conversation, and I believe enters into our conversation. And the Sermon on the Mount is so important for us, guys. It's so important for us to know the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, Jesus said this, Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish. That word abolish is another way to say destroy. Do not think I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. That's another way of saying the Old Testament. Almost in full, but that, that's another way of saying the Old Testament. The law and the prophets were, 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 were that. And so some people thought that Jesus' teachings were so radical that he was there to get rid of it, destroy and abolish the law. But that was their agenda. That was not God's. But what is opposite from destroying or abolishing the law? What is, what's the different, what is the different verb from destroying? What's that? Embrace? Yeah, so if, if someone's going to destroy it, I feel like another, uh, the opposite would be to defend it, protect it, to, to strengthen it, to make sure that it, no one uh, gets to it. But Jesus says something different. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus' goal in the Scriptures was to fulfill the Scriptures. That means to complete the Scriptures, to put them at peace. And he goes on to say this in verse 18. And by the way, notice I am interpreting this Scripture, by the way. Um, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, 
what Jesus' literal words is, he's talking about the Hebrew language, the smallest aspects, the smallest characters in the Hebrew language. In the King James, it's called a jot or a tittle, which sounds dirty to me. But <laughs> what he's saying is not the smallest, it's like almost the seraph in a character. Not the smallest bit of God's law will by any means disappear until everything is accomplished. Jesus actually declares his purpose that he did not want to destroy the truth of the Bible, but came to complete it, to fulfill its requirements, to show that it's actually pointing to him. And Jesus goes on in verse 19, Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches according, uh, others accordingly, we be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's talking about whoever disregards the smallest little bit of God's law, whoever does that actually becomes the least in my kingdom. Like, so it's teaching us that we can't be flippant about the Bible. In Jesus' kingdom, what's really important, even though he fulfilled the law, is that we honor it, we seek it, we teach it, we live it. That's, that's what we're finding in this, in the smallest little bit. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is using a twist of these words to, to teach us how we should think and believe when we, when we come to scriptures, how we should hold these scriptures. I believe it's with honor, it's with respect, but we, honestly, we should teach it and apply it to our life. This is why we take the Bible seriously as followers of Jesus, because Jesus wants us to. And if Jesus is our authority, and if, we, if, he, if he is our authority, we should turn to the Scripture and seek it with all faithfulness. We love and we worship Jesus, not the Bible, but because Jesus points us to the Bible, we then place this book in the middle of our, of our community as Jesus' authoritative word, and because we love Jesus and Jesus loves this, then we embrace it. We seek it. We hold it dearly. This is the gift from Christ. All right, so how do we actually, now this is the, like the big question, is how do we actually interpret Scripture? So if we are to interpret Scripture, how do we do so? Uh, this is a very simple flow, and I hope this is helpful for many of us. Um, there's three different elements. It's, the three different elements are revelation, interpretation, and application. What it means of revelation is we ask first, how is this text revealed? Now, this involves the really tedious work of learning the original audience and the context. Context is so important when we, st- when we study Scripture and in life. Like, if right now, if I were to yell out the word duck, what would you think of? Well, it changes if you're in the context of a baseball field or if you're sitting at a pond. You know, the context matters. And so it's really important for us to come to Scripture and learn the context in which it was originally uh, written and expressed and read. And so we, we ask the question, how was the text revealed? And Revelation is studying that, the, the original audience. And we, we honestly need tools. Because if you and I were just to go to here, we wouldn't know what the context was. And there's so many tools out there. I just want to offer you one. The Bible Project is one of the best things out there, I think. It's a website that they've created videos because many of us are visual. And it has, gives you the context for every book in the Bible. Deep scholarship, but it's also very accessible. So 
Um, it's just one of the many tools out there to study uh, the background and understand how is this text originally revealed. The second thing is with interpretation. So after we've asked how was it revealed, then we ask the question, what does this text actually mean? What does it mean for us? We slowly and prayerfully ask how we can understand this text for us today. And a couple ways we interpret is we interpret with the whole Bible as a reference. It's important not to just pull a little segment out, but to read it in its context in the, in the, in the reading, but also put in the context of the whole story, many, in many ways what Ron talked about last week. So we read Scripture in the context of the whole Scripture. Secondly, we interpret Scripture with the big C church, that we read, we, I want to encourage you guys, don't be afraid of reading the Bible by yourself, but it's also really helpful for us to interpret with other people. We turn to the larger church community as well. So that means that we look to people who've lived before us, generations before us, we, we listen, we read to them, because we have blind spots and biases in our own context today. We need to know what it's like to understand Scripture before the invention of the iPhone and when uh, individualism that marks our modern society before then. Uh, and we also pay careful attention to other cultures. We look to different cultures and nationalities of how, how are they understanding the Scripture. And really importantly, we pay attention to the voices of the marginalized, those whom God again and again uses to, as the prophetic voice in our societies. We pay careful attention to them. As, as Jesus did. And then we also interpret through Jesus. We read the Bible in the light of Christ. When we interpret Scripture, it's so important for us to say, how is my understanding of this passage consistent with what I know of Jesus? We read Scripture in the light of Christ, and we ask that question again and again. Jesus felt permission to reinterpret Scripture in the light of his own truth. That's why you find Jesus saying often, you have heard it said, but now I say. So therefore, it's so important for us to know Christ and interpret Scripture through Jesus. Is what I'm understanding of this passage consistent with the character and the life and the work that we see in Jesus? It's important for us to interpret through Jesus. And after we have done all that hard work of revelation and interpretation, we finally move to application. How can we live this out? The Bible statement is not merely a statement of beliefs, but a way of living. This forms us into the people that have a, a lifestyle and a practice that's mirrored after our Savior and Master Jesus. This we will talk about next week, our final week on this. We'll talk about that. But I want to close with this, that if Jesus came to fulfill the Bible, and if we interpret the Bible through Jesus, the most important thing for us in interpretation is this. It's to know Christ. If all of the, if all of the Scripture is pointing to Jesus and the way we understand Scripture is through Jesus, what is so essential is for us to know Jesus, to be fluent in his life, what I mean by that is for us to know Jesus, yes, in Scriptures, in reading the Gospels, in the Bible, but also know Jesus relationally, to know, to know what it's like to sit in his presence, to turn to him in prayer, to, to know the fact that Jesus is personally and relationally pursuing you, that he's relentlessly uh, finding you and saving you, that Jesus came to rescue God's creation 
And this, so begin, this begins in trusting, in trusting this Jesus. And after you've trusted yourself to Jesus, then you turn to the place where Jesus gave his authority, this book, to point us to life and to point us to truth. That we as a community could put this in the middle of who we are to seek God's truth and instruction for us. That hopefully that we can find the gift that the Bible is for us today. Let's pray together.